This is uh, Mike Edelhart. I'm here with another edition of uh, Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, new ideas, new explorations in science, and sometimes even a little peek into the future. Today, we're going to have a little peek, I guess, into the kitchen with Camille Richman, or Rich Woman, who is CEO of Hamama. So I've seen you do both, Richman, which I suppose is what mom and dad named you, and Rich Woman. So which one yes. do you prefer and why? Oh, man. Well, I uh, stick with Richman professionally, but I was pleased to see you'd <laughs> seen the Rich Woman floating around. And I've gone by Rich Woman since the fifth grade when I was lamenting to... Uh, Mr. Carter, my fifth grade science teacher, how it wasn't very descriptive of me. And he said, well, why don't you just go by rich woman? And I was like, okay, well, what about the rich part? And I was like, all right, I'll keep that in there aspirationally. <laughs> and, That's good. I like it. Well, it's your Twitter handle. I mean, yes. it's not like I So came, of course uh, you saw uh, it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So Hamama, let's get the basics out of the way. So what is it? Why is it? Why is this what you've decided to dedicate your time, talents, and everything to? Hamama is uh, the company that I started about three and a half years ago now. And what we do is offer a fail-proof kit for growing nutritious microgreens at home year-round. My co-founder and I started as researchers at MIT. We're both mechanical engineers and we were working together on larger scale indoor urban farming projects. And we ended up working on a project called the Food Computer that was this open source platform for kind of understanding the relationship between climate and the expressions of different crops. Um, so kind of asking the nature versus nurture questions for agricultural crops. And it was very, it was kind of this desktop meter cubed farm in a box where the idea was eventually you could port in any climate and see the effects on the crops inside. But essentially what we were building at the same time, even though we were thinking about it as a research platform, was, you know, this kind of robo garden. And consumers and the public kind of took interest in that. And we saw this interest in, oh, I don't know how to garden. I want fresh food year round. That could fit in my house. When can I buy this? And so, you know, we were very clear on the fact that it was not consumer product ready, not built for the home, um, but that there would be interest and that we could build that solution. And it ended up becoming the seed quilt invention that we've now built Hamama around, um, where we're delivering that value proposition of automated farming but in a very kind of pragmatic way for the home, where all of the automation we were thinking about before in terms of sensing and computing, we've now built into this um, seed packaging, essentially called the seed quilt, 
where all that automation is done passively, where this simple seed packaging invention controls the watering, humidity, and light access for growing microgreens, where all our customers have to do is pour water once into our custom tray, put in a seed quilt, come back in a week, and have microgreens ready to eat. Literally as simple as that. As simple as that. I mean, I've heard you say it's the one and only actual black thumb proof thing out there. And you just gave me one, so we're going <laughs> to we're gonna find out. Finally. Because, Sorry I mean, it took can, me that long. <laughs> no, I, but I, I can kill anything. You know, I can, I can kill perennials. I can kill anything. So we're going to see how I do with this. But but yes, now people all around the country are growing with it year round. Um, and it's been a very cool, you know, very cool to see that go beyond the proof of concept phase and now see thousands of people in every single state through every season all across the country growing successfully with us in their homes. Great. So just the quilt in a little tray. No light, no camera, no muss, yep. no fuss. So just in your kitchen usually, on the counter, on a windowsill, you know, doesn't need much light at all, partly because of the crop choice, microgreens, um, where they're just the 7 to 10 day old baby versions of the regular veggies we know and love. I mean, it's just so simple, which is actually one of the reasons why we're so interested and impressed. It just seemed simpler. And, and <laughs> we believe that people are much more likely to actually use something Simple and idiot-proof. Right. Uh, there was bubbling in this space in terms of comp, you know uh, the competitive landscape around smart gardening, and we kind of felt that the benefit was there, but the the features uh, weren't really driving towards that benefit. More actually complicating it. A lot of the things that were necessary could be you know streamlined in a more kind of clever way that would also you know, decrease the capital costs necessary to get started and improve the um, stickiness in terms of making it something that can actually be a part of your daily healthy routine and have fewer points of failure, for example. Hmm. So how did you do this? I mean, it's easy to say, we have a quilt, you throw it in and it works, but <laughs> how does it really work? And and how did you actually figure out how to make this, uh, you know, so stable and ubiquitous? So how the seed quilt works is that it automates the watering, humidity, and light access for growing microgreens. And how it does that is a combination of the materials that we've very carefully chosen and the uh, manufacturing process that we also invented when we invented the packaging. How it works is that when you put the seed quilt in the water, it gradually wicks up water from below. So that's how the watering function works. As the seeds begin to sprout, they actually push up the cover of the seed quilt that converts it into this kind of balloon or a humidity dome and traps more humidity inside and also filters out some of the light because it is a brown kind of cover. And at that point in the lifetime of this, uh, of the, uh, uh, sprouts at that point, they need a more humid and, and darker environment. And then they actually push that cover away when they're ready for a less humid and more light-filled environment. How we got there was just 
tons and tons of experiments, first in the traditional ways that microgreens are grown, really understanding um, what dictated success for this crop and different varieties of this crop, and then getting to the seed quilt concept and um, really fine-tuning, for example, the manufacturing parameters and materials, like I said, to just ensure that it worked every single time. So you started this with another researcher at mm-hmm. MIT, co-founders Dan. and all this. Yeah, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, how'd you figure out who does what? How'd you figure out who's the CEO? <laughs> how do you uh, sort of approach this in this kind of partnership of equals, if that's a fair way to say it? Mm-hmm. Way? Well, we're 50-50, certainly equals, yeah. At first, in the prototyping and product development phase, there wasn't really the necessity to split up roles. It was just figure out the product, figure out the customer, figure out what we're building and why. Um, But then, of course, as the company grows, now we're 23 people. Mm. um, You have to split up roles and figure out who's responsible for what. And so it's worked really nicely where, you know, our just interests in where we want to grow has kind of split where I take on the advertising, customer happiness, um, fundraising parts of the business. And then Dan is kind of more of the COO and is running the um, manufacturing show, the logistics, supply chain, and making it all happen behind the scenes. Well, were you friends before you started this or did you become friends by doing this? Or is this (laughs) one of those see in the office and yeah and I wonder if it's strengthened, weakened, challenged, altered your mm. relationship. Um I think man, people who start companies as solo founders, I'm very impressed by or start a company and then find a f- co-founder that they've never worked with before. Right. I can't picture that. Uh, cuz Dan and I had worked together for 2 years already. Um, before we started Hamama and had kind of already known we work well together. It was just easy. The trust is there. The ownership is there. The accountability. Yeah, you know things will get done. (laughs) That's great. And we actually find, you know, we're sort of geeks. We study everything that startups that have more than one founder, statistically speaking, do better. All right. That single founder for that reason. I mean, it's a pretty rare human being that is all encompassing. Right. So yeah. there's a certain courage involved in all of this, and and in at least from our point of view, in your case, it's a few months ago, we were having one of our check-ins. You said, "Well, we're picking up and moving everything to Sacramento." Why'd you do that, and and <laughs> how'd you do that, and how's it been going since? Because I'll have to say, a lot of uh, founders wouldn't have the guts. They might think mm. about it, but they wouldn't necessarily just pick up and do it. So, go through all that. Why Sacramento? Why not here? Yeah. Well, for. For context for listeners, we manufacture the product as well as uh, do the fulfillment in-house. So we really like uh, kind of the operations side of things and owning and improving that um, in-house. And so, yeah, we're essentially running a warehouse and we were doing that in the mission in about 400 square feet, then 800 square feet, luckily, because it was a shared warehouse and the neighbor moved out and we we're like, hurry, claim that space. <laughs> and then eventually it just became, uh, well, quickly, it just became no room at all. I think we were at eight 
folks in the warehouse uh, trying to go vertically as much as we could and unloading our first full container onto the sidewalk in the mission and carrying boxes in and kind of realizing, all right, we need a real warehouse with a loading dock and uh, space to grow. In your case, literally to grow, to grow in order to grow. (laughs) You know, I think we initially wanted to stay in the Bay Area, but it just became very clear that it didn't make sense in terms of warehouse costs. And we were looking at first um, further in Nevada, doing a lot of testing, especially around the kind of labor pools. So putting Mm. Craigslist posts in different cities to see where we would get the most bites because finding a good warehouse price with the right, you know, amenities that you need is pretty easy via all the online compilers. But then knowing about the labor market is a different game. So we used Craigslist to test different cities and it was super surprising. Sacramento was just insane. We got dozens of resumes in the first few hours and then also found the perfect warehouse space there. It's really affordable, at least compared to the Bay Area, but still only a 90-minute, two-hour drive, so I could still come here and hang with you today. No problem. In terms of making the decision, well, I was kind of ready to go anywhere. We were ready to move to Vegas or Reno or, you know, anywhere. Um, And actually made the decision about Sacramento before ever having visited. I texted my family, I'm moving to Sacramento. And they said, have you been there? And I said, no. (laughs) Do you think the way you were brought up had a direct impact uh, or indirect impact or what kind of impact did it have on your becoming uh, an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think I didn't realize so much the threads that led me here because I initially credit a lot of the kind of move to start the company to my co-founder, Dan, who comes from a much more entrepreneurial background and had seen, you know, his parents start businesses and was more exposed to that, I think. But now looking back, I do see kind of the earlier signs of you know, just wanting to make something happen, make a change, you know, starting the recycling program in the elementary school or trying to invent this, trying to make my cell phone solar powered, um, you know, these, this and that. But I didn't have the words for the entrepreneurial journey. Hmm. So, but I do see that. And I think just curiosity about a lot of things, really wanting to kind of excel on the path At first, I think, you know, I kind of just saw, oh, yeah, the path, school is the way. Didn't ever think I'd have my own company, but was very adamant about doing really well in the game that I saw laid out in front of me. Now I've never had a real job. Hmm. It's great. (laughs) And will you ever, so, you know, as as this goes, what, what do you think the company will be, say, five years from now? What do you think you'll be? Five years from now. Where will we be five years from now? I would love to be in international markets. Um, I really have goals for expanding outside of the U.S. We have a big focus within the U.S. Obviously, it's a huge market to uh, focus on, and it's the one we know the best. 
every day we get, you know, inbound from folks in other countries. And I think the kind of same solution applies to problems in really interesting and different ways in other markets. But honestly, in five years, I'd love to still be CEO of Hamama at a, a much more immense scale impacting millions of people's lives. What does Hamama mean by? What does it come from? <laughs> Is there a book of Hamama jokes or something? Or, um... uh, so it means greenhouse in Hebrew. Oh, and it go. means dove in Arabic, and it's a waterfall in Hawaii. Yes, but the initial exposure was from the Hebrew word for greenhouse. Got it. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, great to see you, and uh, can't wait to see what happens next. Yes, thank you so much for the invitation. Great to see you. Great to see you.